last time I did it was in the 80s when we left Fiji. And uh, 1982, we left Fiji to go and work in the Gilbert Islands. And from then, I've heard it only today. Wonderful. And you would notice that the catch word in that, uh, in that chorus is the word joy. Joy is the flag thrown high from the castle of my heart because the king is in residence there. And my subject today is the source of real joy. What is the source of real joy in our lives? And I'm going to continue the reading that Grace left and read six more verses. And we're reading from verse 17. Here was the 70 that was sent out two by twos to go and preach the word of God. Now they've returned. Verse 17 says this. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to thread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirit are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced, that is Jesus, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and everyone to whom the Son will reveal him. Verse 23. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. The Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Now, some people have joy and pain. I remember watching the Chiefs were playing the blues in Hamilton and Sam Kane suffered a cut above the eyebrow that needed six stitches. He got stitched up in the back somewhere. He came back on the field and he started playing again to win the match. Obviously, pain wasn't a problem with Sam Kane. He, the winning, the match was his goal. So he kept on playing to win the match. And then there are others who are not like this at all. They're all in pleasure. They want pleasure. They don't want pain in their life. For some, the Christian life is a way of pleasure and rewards. The Christian life to them spells popularity, success, and prosperity. Following Christ is the way of good life to them. And I know a lot of people from my background back in the days in Fiji who professed to be Christians, but when difficult time came, the joy of the Lord was not their portion. They fell flat and they fell by the wayside. Some years ago, we had the news from Fiji that my brother, a younger brother, his wife, two sons, and two daughter-in-laws have become Christians. Overnight, they became Christians. They were baptized 
They were singing the praises of the Lord. They had a big party when they had the baptism. And they were all joyful. They were really rejoicing in the Lord. And one of the daughter-in-law got pregnant and, and she lost the baby. So the head went down a little bit. And she got pregnant again and she lost the baby again. And that was not good. And the third time when she got pregnant, she, they decided that they'll go back to the temple. He came out from Hinduism when they became a Christian. He had a little temple in his own house. They decided that they will go back to the temple. And when they went to the temple and told their problem to the priest, and the priest says, I know why this is happening. That's because you've become a Christian. Because all of you have become a Christian, you're not having these babies. And that third pregnancy, the baby survived. And after that, she's got two more. Well, my brother came back home and decided that the Christian life was not the way of life for them because they lost two, two, two babies and they decided that they'll go back to their old way of life. And one of my other sister-in-laws told me that he went around telling people that they've been in the church for six years and they haven't seen any blessing. There was no profit in the church because they have lost two babies. There was no joy of the Lord in their life. Material things, things in life was more important than the life that was to come. You see, all of life is affected by how we relate to joy, happiness, and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our text informs us as to what the real source of joy is and how it should impact our Christian life. Joy is an important issue, one that affects us Christians in many, many ways. And I know some Christians, they're always miserable, never anything good. They're always complaining. They always see the glass as half empty. And there was this old man. He was an old Christian, a real brother in the Lord. And uh, somebody said to him, Joe, how are you doing today? He said, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm getting old, my eyes, eyes are getting dim. I've only got two teeth left, but praise God, they opposite one another. That's the joy of the Lord. Only two teeth left, but they're opposite one another. Nehemiah, after they built the, built the walls of Jerusalem, after they've dedicated the wall, they, have, they read the word of God from morning till sunset. And after that, Nehemiah said to the people, go and eat, go and, and enjoy yourself, go and drink and be happy and may the joy of the Lord be your strength. Is the joy of the Lord your strength, folks? Do you rely on the joy of the Lord? Now, as I understand this passage, which I read from verse 17 to 23, I find it falls into three divisions. Verses 17 to 20, we have the disciples' joy. Verses 21 to 22, we have the Lord's joy. And then verses 23 to 24, we have the disciples' joy again. And there are three themes intertwined in this passage. And the themes are joy, salvation, and the sovereignty of God. Verses 17 to 20, Jesus urges his disciples to find their joy in their salvation, 
listen, and not in the authority over demons. Find your joy in your salvation and not in your authority over the demons. And in verses 21 to 22, Jesus expressed his own deep joy based upon the sovereignty of God in the salvation of mankind and the part he played in that salvation to do the will of the Father. And then if you look at verses 23 to 24, our Lord now turns to the disciples' attention to the saints of old who aimed to see God's salvation, but we were not privileged to see what the disciples were seeing. And so there was joy all around in these verses. There was the joy of the disciples in their salvation, that the joy of the Lord, that he was out here to do his Father's will, and then the joy of the disciples again, that they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, which the Old Testament saints yearned to see, but they were not privileged to see. So let's look at the background of this passage that, that, uh, that Grace has read to us. The commissioning of the 70 is only recorded in Luke. In chapter 9, the 12 disciples were sent to Galilee. And here in chapter 10, the 70 were sent to every city and place where Jesus himself was about to go. He sent them two by two, and they've sent them on this mission. Now, the condition of this mission was a difficult one. And it is difficult for us to understand how these 70s were asked by the Lord to go out and to preach the gospel. And here's the condition. They were being sent out as lamb among wolves. And you know what will happen there? They would experience persecution and a great deal of rejection. The Lord told them plainly. You will, you, you'll have persecution. They were sent out with no provision, take nothing, no money bag, no bag, no food with you. And they were to, told to eat whatever they were served. And that, Gary, included curry and, and mussels and octopus and sea slugs and everything else. They were told to eat whatever they were served. Now, if we're honest we would have to say that going under these circumstances would not be very, very desirable. Now, you know, I go to Tonga a lot, and there are some food that I still haven't tried out there. Uh, it is difficult at times, but then there are other foods that, that, that's good, which, which I, I, I take. It will be fair to say that some missionaries also faced similar uh, conditions out there in the mission field. And not only missionaries, but some Christians also faced similar conditions. I was reading about John Patton, a Scottish missionary that in the 1800s came to the islands of New Hebrides, which is Vanuatu today. He went to the island of Tana, and he went to the island of Aniwa, where he introduced the first hymn book in, in their own language. He, he translated the New Testament in their own language. And his wife died there in childbirth. And a week later, the child also died. He dug two graves by himself while the natives watched. He put the bodies in the grave and he buried them. And you know what? He had to sleep on top of the grave. Otherwise, the natives would come and steal the body for a feast. It was the days of the cannibals. And this is how some Christians have suffered and were martyred for the sake of the gospel. 
and the blood of the martyrs folk has become the seed of the church. And these people that went out preaching the gospel of the grace of God won so many for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hear the island of Aniwa is all Christians today because of the work of these early, early missionaries. And so the circumstance is that the Lord here sends the disciples out. We're not very favorable. And a lot of us may not be able to hack that. But they were told to go out with the gospel of the grace of God. Let us look at the disciples' joy. Verses 17 and 220. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven and lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, after the mission, the disciples came back jubilant. They came back joyful. They were happy. And they came back uh, seemingly successful. And thus Luke sums up the report in this one statement, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. When they say even the demons are subject to us in your name, it would seem that the ability to cast out demons was the evidence of power and authority in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, it is not difficult to see how they would have come to this conclusion. If you look back in chapter 9, with Peter and James and John absent, the nine disciples could not cast out one single demon out of a boy. And here these 70 went out, and they were able to cast out many demons when they went out there. And this, this seems to be the A-team. This is the team that they were able to cast out the demons in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the casting out of demons may have been a proof to the disciples that they have great authority in the name of the Lord Jesus and thus a great joy. When they came back, they were jubilant. They were joyful. We were able to cast out all these demons. You know, when we were in Fiji, we used to work with Campus Crusade quite a bit because one of the, the, the director of Campus Crusade in the South Pacific he used to be an elder with me in my church, and we used to go out on, on Saturdays out, two by twos, we used to have a meeting and a time of prayer, and we used to go out all along the towns and the cities, and we'll all gather back again and give a report of, of, of the things that we have seen. You know, some places we were rejected, oh, I'm a Roman Catholic, and I'm okay, and some places they accepted the gospel, and we would come back and have that meeting. And, and it was a similar condition here. The disciples came back, and they discussed, but the one point was even the demons were subject to us in your name. Well, Jesus responds to the enthusiasm and the joy of the 70s in interesting and it's informative. Whilst the joy has been misplaced, the, the disciples' job here has been really misplaced, they were not rebuked by Jesus. And quietly, Jesus refocuses their joy into something more important than casting out the demons. They saw their success only in the terms of their authority in casting out the demons. But Jesus said to them, don't be surprised 
Don't be surprised that the demons are subject to you. I saw the commander cast out of heaven. And their force will be cast out of earth as well. But then Jesus, Jesus, uh, the, the authority which the Lord had given to his disciples, that is to the 70, was such that it included the power to overcome Satan. They had the authority uh, to the opposition of preaching the gospel, which were they were sent to proclaim. The authority in Jesus' name included the ability to trample serpents and scorpions, and this may be a language somewhat uh, symbolic. But there is also a literal dimension which should not be overlooked. As they were going out from place to place, there was a very real danger posed, posed by serpents and scorpions. It would seem as though Satan, the enemy, would hinder their mission, employing such means as serpents. After all, the serpent was in the garden, uh, garden of Eden. And so in verse 19, if we go to verse 19, we see that the Lord affirms and expanded upon the significance of their ministry and the, and the power the disciples had when they were sent out two by twos. And in this, they can rejoice. But then in verse 20, the Lord tends to the disciples' attention to a better, to a better basis for their joy. And listen to this. If their destruction of Satan was good news to them, and cause for rejoicing as they came back jubilant, their salvation was even better news, and it was the cause for deepest joy. So in a very gentle way, Jesus tells them that they should rejoice in the fact of their salvation and not in the fact that they were able to cast out demons. And Jesus says this in verse 20, However, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names written in heaven is more valuable than your ability to cast out demons. And here is the reason, first reason for real joy in our lives, folks, that our names are written in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. The ability to cast out demons is no proof that a person is saved. In fact, Matthew's gospel makes it quite clear that unbelievers were able to cast out demons. And uh, one of my uncle was a Hindu priest, and he was able to cast out demons. And I have witnessed him casting out demons. I tell you, it is very, very frightening when you're out there, and, 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 and it's a mighty force. But you know something? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe we have the authority to cast out demons. And I have seen this done by Christians in, in Fiji where they were able to, to talk to the demons and to cast them out. But that is no, authority, no, no proof that one is a believer. Listen to what the Lord says in Matthew's account, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, depart from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. 
And so Jesus told his disciples that rather than rejoice in their power over demons and the ability to cast out demons is no proof that your name is written in heaven. They should rejoice that their names are written in heaven. Here's an example. When a man gets married, he does not rejoice in the fact that he's no longer single, right? He does not rejoice in the fact he's no longer single, but he rejoices in the pleasure of his new bride. Is that true? My brother Wickmore here is smiling. When a guy gets married, he does not boast about to his mates that, hey, I'm single again. I, I, I'm no longer single now. But he boasts in his wife. It is not the ability to cast out demons a proof that you're a believer. It is to know that your name is written in heaven. To know that it is well with your soul. The question is, what does it mean to have your name written in heaven? What do we mean by that? What does it mean that your name is written in heaven? Listen to this. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and reading from verses 11 to 14. And this is serious, serious stuff, people. This is really serious, and I hope that you take notice of this. Verse 11 of chapter 20 of Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Is that serious or what? If anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Notice there are two sets of books here. First, there are books. There are more than one books in the first lot. And these books record every thoughts, words, and deeds of sinful man. Every idle word gets recorded in this book. And then there is a book, and this is the book of life. And folks, it contains the names of the redeemed. It contains the names of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It contains the names of those who are in their life came to face with the challenges. And they bowed down and they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. And that is the book the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about. Don't rejoice in the fact that you're able to cast out demons, but rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. And so the question is, is your name written in this book? Is my name written in this book? You know, in my life I made two very important decisions. It was 1954 when after a gospel meeting one evening I decided that I needed the Lord Jesus Christ to be my saviour. 
And I remember kneeling down in the home of Ellen and Keith Becker on the sofa and invited the Lord Jesus Christ to be my savior. The consequences after that was that I was thrown out from home because I followed a white man's religion according to my father. I got kicked out of the house. You've disgraced the family. You've disgraced our religion. That's okay. And the second decision I also made when I found myself standing beside a beautiful woman in 1961, and guess what I said? Yes, I will take this woman to be my lawful wedded wife. Those are the two very important decisions I've made in my life. And both Jesus Christ and Fatima is my constant companion. And this year we will be celebrating our 55th wedding anniversary. And isn't it wonderful to be in the Lord, to have our name written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, folks, the good news is that before you go home today, you can have your name written in this book of life. You can have your name written there. How? We can help you today to make sure that your name is written in heaven. Come and talk to us. After when we have a cup of tea, if you've got any question you'd like to talk to us, please come and talk to us and we will show you the way to eternal life. Is joy your flag flying high from the castle of your heart? Why? Because Jesus is in residence there. Because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Is that the joy you have? You know, in the colonial days in Fiji, uh, the governor general that uh, was from UK was based in Suva, and I lived in Lotoka in the western side, and the, the official residence was in Suva. There was also a residence in, in the western side whenever he visited that, and he used to reside in there. And every time we saw a Union Jack flying on, on that compound, we knew the governor general was staying here. And we had to behave ourselves because it was next to a golf course where I used to go and caddy, and we really had to be quiet, and as soon as the governor general's car came, we had to stand still and all that. And, and, and the flag up in that, that, that compound told us that the governor general was in residence in that town. Have you got a flag in your life like that, the flag of joy to say that, that Jesus Christ is in residence in your life? When in 1987 we went to Tonga, Fatima decided to go to town one day and she was walking on the footpath, quietly doing her own thing, when a policeman on the motorbike said, Stop! Because the king's uh, motorcade was, was going, everybody had to stand still, and Fatima didn't know this was the first or second week there. And the policeman said, Stop! And she didn't know what was happening. She just stopped, stopped there. Is the Lord Jesus Christ is in residence in your life. Let's look at the Lord's joy. That's the disciples' joy, that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's look at the Lord's joy. Verse 21. At that very same time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infant. Yes, Father, from this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to, and anyone to whom the Son wills. 
he reveals him. The word of the Lord is an expression of great joy at a time when Jesus was set on going to Jerusalem, where he would be rejected and put to death. He rejoiced in the Spirit. What was the source of the Lord's joy? What was his joy, folks? First, the Lord was, had abundant joy through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' joy was not humanly produced. How could it be when he was on his way to Jerusalem to give his life up a ransom for many? The Holy Spirit produced his joy. And we might say in later New Testament time that it was the fruit of the Spirit. The Lord had great joy in the salvation of men. God the Father has chosen to reveal these things to some and conceal it from the others. These things are, in essence, the knowledge of God's salvation in the, per in the, in the person and work of the Messiah. God revealed his salvation to some and concealed it from others, and Jesus rejoiced in the salvation that was revealed to men. John MacArthur's take on this verse is this. He says, there is a bit of sarcasm in these words that the Jewish leaders are ironically identified as the wise and intelligent and the followers of Christ as infants. Yet God has revealed to those followers the truth of the Messiah and his gospel. There is a powerful affirmation of the sovereignty of God over all the affairs of men. And in the following verse, Christ claimed that the task of executing the divine will has been committed to him. A claim that would have been utterly blasphemous if Jesus were anything less than the sovereign God himself. And then the Lord Jesus Christ had great joy in the sovereign will of God. God's sovereignty in men's salvation is evident because those whom we would expect to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the wise and the learned, they did not. While those we would least expect, the little children, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then the Lord had further rejoiced because it was the Father's good pleasure to accomplish the salvation of men through his Son. He rejoiced in the fact that it was the Father's good will to accomplish the salvation of mankind. And Jesus' joy was not only subject to the will of the Father, but Jesus' joy was founded in the will of the Father. It was the Father's will that not one should perish. It was the Father's will that he should take the place of the sinner and give himself a, a ransom for all. It was his joy, I believe, the joy in doing the Father's will that sustained the Lord Jesus Christ as he went to the cross and the suffering of the cross. Hebrews 12 says this. Verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, chapter 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne on high. What was Jesus' joy? To do the will of the Father. Had the disciple found great joy in, in the demons being subject to him, the Lord had found great joy in him being subject to the Father. Let us look at the disciples' joy again as we close, verses 23 to 24. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear. The disciples were not to find their joy in the submission of demons to them, but in their salvation, and that their name is written in heaven. That was their joy, that their name was written in heaven. Now, this salvation in which the disciples uh, rejoice is viewed from one last perspective, that the Old Testament saints who looked forward to it never saw it. The Old Testament saints, right through all the offerings and all going through the Old Testament, was pointing to the Messiah, but they did not have the privilege of seeing the Messiah. Then Jesus turned to the disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. And this was a, a reason for joy for the disciples, that they have seen the Messiah. They have seen the hopes of the ages in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the disciples had many reasons for rejoicing in their salvation. What are they? Their names are written down in heaven. That's a reason for us to rejoice, the first and most primary reason. Uh, their salvation are eternally certain and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their salvation was pleasing to God. It was God who initiated that salvation. And they have been chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had been privileged to see the Messiah. The disciples are told by the Lord to rejoice in the salvation which they have heard and seen, which the Old Testament saints longed for and did not see. What a privilege these men were given to see with their eyes, to hear with their ears the fulfillment of the hope of ages. And here was a good reason for the disciples to rejoice. I believe that the joy of salvation is experienced not only by the disciples who saw and heard the Messiah, but by all who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In talking to Thomas, our Lord puts it this way, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me yet believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me yet believed. Many in Jesus, they saw and heard what the disciples did, and yet they did not believe. And that's the basis of the, the condemnation of the cities that uh, Grace read to us, the cities of uh, Capernaum and Crozen and, and all these hard-named cities. And uh, they, they, saw, they saw the miracles. They saw the Lord, but they did not believe in him. There is no blessing, folks, when you hear the word of, of the gospel, when you hear the gospel, 
and you reject the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you, let me tell you, there is no blessing. You'll be accountable for this. If you've heard the gospel once in your lifetime, you'll be accountable if you do not put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Accepting or rejecting results in either divine judgment, as we've read in Revelation, or dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So what is the joy in our lives, folks? Our joy is that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Lord has great joy in the salvation of men. He had that joy. He set his eyes towards Jerusalem so that he could give his life a ransom for many. And the joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven. Will you decide today? If you have not put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have that joy which, 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 which many of us have. I invite you to come and talk to us after so that we will sit down with you and show you a bit more clearly on a one-to-one -one basis how you can have that joy, how you can have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life.